If you have a Bible, why don't you take it and open with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible but you would like one, uh, we would love to give one to you as a Christmas gift from us to you. And uh, all you need to do right now is just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will come to you and give you that Bible. And that's yours to keep and uh, take home uh, to read and to let that change your life. So if you need one, just slip up your hand. Uh, We'll have somebody come to you and give that to you. And uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we are. If you don't know where Luke chapter 2 is, you can use the table of contents at the front of your Bible or maybe just poke somebody beside you who looks like they know what they're doing. And uh, I'm sure they'd be happy to help you get there as well. Luke chapter 2, I'll meet you there in just a couple of minutes. Um, If you're visiting with us today, um, our church has been doing a a series over the past few weeks called Women of Wonder. And uh, we've been looking at how Uh, God has used four women in the Bible to teach us about the importance of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're wrapping up that series today by looking at the life of Anna, who the Bible teaches us is a woman of worship. Now the thing is, when it comes to the Christmas story, it can be so easy for us to think that the story simply begins with a young couple named Mary and Joseph and an angel appearing in the sky to them and telling them all the different ways that God is going to use them and work in their life and how their lives are going to change forever from that point forward. And that seems like a logical place for us to begin. At the same time though, when you understand the bigger story of the entire Bible, uh, you begin to realize that the story actually begins long before that. It begins in a place called the Garden of Eden, way back in the very first pages of the Bible. And the Bible tells us that God created the entire universe simply by the word of his power. So just imagine that for a minute. Like God creates the heavens and the earth and he hangs the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies all in their places and he does it by his power. And then God creates man and names him Adam and then he creates woman and names her Eve and God creates both of them perfectly in his image. He does all of this in six days and then he rests on the seventh day and God looks then across the span of all of his creation and he says that it is very good. The problem is that in the very next chapter of the Bible, Adam and Eve sin against God by disobeying his command. And the problem from there is that every generation since then has known the consequence of this, and we have felt this in our souls. We feel this at the very core of who we are because we look around us and we realize that something is not right. We, we look around us and we see for ourselves that, that this is not the way that life should be. Like, you can look around, you can watch the news, you can look at your very own life and things that happen, and you realize that, that this is not the way that life should be. Because we all understand that we have plans that fail us. We have people that have disappointed us, and relationships that have broken us, and fears that worry us, and even disease that has changed us. And like we long for something better and we dream for something greater, but, but at the same time, there's something within us that sometimes wonders, like, will this actually ever change? And it's not just that things are not right around us. We also realize that things are not right within us. But here's the thing. In the midst of all of that, in the midst even of that moment when sin first entered the world, in the very beginning pages of the Bible, when all of that was happening, God made a promise. And the promise that God made was that one day in the future, he would send someone who would make everything right. And so from the very beginning pages of the Bible, the people of God are living in anticipation of this promise of God that one day this Savior is going to come. 
Like, like just imagine yourself living at some point in human history between the time that God made that promise and the time that the promise came to be true. Like just imagine living at some point and you're looking around and you're waiting and you're wondering and you're watching like you're one of those people and you're just looking, you can't wait. You know that God has made this promise but you know it hasn't been fulfilled yet and you're just going through your life wondering when it's gonna happen. You're watching babies being born and you're asking yourself maybe along with a bunch of other people, is this the one? Like, is this the one that God has sent who's going to change everything, who's going to save us from the way that things are right now? And so just picture yourself living at that point in human history, and, and you see this years pass. Generations come and go. Kingdoms rise and fall. Leaders live and die. Judges, prophets, priests of all shapes and sizes and different backgrounds. And, and through all of that time, again, the people are just wondering and watching and waiting. When will God come through? When you think about it, it's not totally unlike how we live our lives today, is it? Isn't it? Like, like when you think about it, we may not be looking for a judge or a prophet or a priest, but we, we most certainly look to things of this life and, and we ask ourselves, like, is this thing going to give me what I think I need? Like we do this all the time and, and we look around us and we think, if only I can have that relationship in my life, then maybe that will fill the void in my heart. And if only I can have that money to go here or do that or have this, then maybe that will fill the void in my heart. Maybe if I can just get the respect of that person in my life, then maybe that will fill the void in my heart. And, and we just keep going through this cycle within our lives. And before we even know it, it's almost like we're buried in all of the if-onlys. Like if only this happens, if only that happens, then maybe my life will be better. And so just imagine, just try and put yourself back in that time in human history. Just imagine you're living at that time. You're among these people who have been waiting tens upon hundreds upon thousands of years for God to come through on his promise. And then he does. And then it happens. And you know, like in that moment, you're living in that moment and you absolutely know that now everything has changed. Like everything is different. You look at this and you know that there is absolutely no other explanation for this except to say that God has done this. And so then it all starts with God sending an angel to an older couple whose name is Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and the angel tells this couple who hasn't been able to have children their entire marriage that in their old age, they're gonna give birth to a son and they're going to name him John. And John is going to be the one who's going to go ahead of Jesus. He's going to go to everybody else and he's going to tell them, hey, listen, the Savior's coming. The Savior's here. You need to make sure you're ready. You need to make sure your heart is ready. You need to make sure that your life is ready because God is coming through on his promise. And then that same angel who appeared to them appears to a young girl whose name is Mary. And he tells her that even though she's a virgin, she's going to give birth to a son and she's going to call his name Jesus because he is the son of God and he has come to save people from their sins. So first, John is born to Zachariah and Elizabeth and then Jesus is born to Joseph and Mary. But the thing is, the supernatural stuff doesn't stop there. Like sometime after Jesus is born, an angel appears to shepherds in a field to announce that the promise of God has been fulfilled. The Savior has come. Like the Savior is here. But then you got to understand it's not just one angel in the sky. Like just imagine being one of those shepherds in that field. 
and, and you're just doing what you normally do every day and it's dark out and all of a sudden, it's not just one angel, like you look up in the sky at that moment and everywhere that you lay your eyes, there's an angel in the sky. And all of those angels are singing the praises of God for what he said he would do. And so then those shepherds find their way to Bethlehem, to the place that this angel told them about. And they go there and they tell Joseph and Mary all of these amazing things that the angel had said about Jesus. And they're all amazed by this. And then Mary and Joseph go to the temple. That was part of the custom of the day. And when they get there, a man named Simeon pronounces a God-given blessing over Jesus that for all intents and purposes totally takes their breath away. They can't believe what is being said about this little baby that is theirs. The Bible says that they marveled at what they had just heard. So, try and put yourself back into that time in human history again. Try and put yourself back into that story and just think for a minute. Like imagine you're living in that moment, in that time when Jesus is born and you hear the news that God has come through on his promise. Like just imagine what's going on around the birth of Jesus. Prophecies fulfilled, promises kept, generations waiting, angels appearing, people worshiping, babies leaping, women singing, men speaking, God working, and as a result, listen, lives undeniably and irrefutably changed forever. And what I want you to see in the midst of all of that, like from the very beginning pages of the Bible, all the way to the very present day today with you and me here in this room right now on Christmas Eve 2019, celebrating the birth of Jesus. What I want you to see is simply this. The birth of Jesus Christ demands a response from us. Like think about it for a minute. How can you read the Christmas story? How can we sing these songs we've just been singing? How can we do all of this and, and understand the Christmas story in the fullness of its context from the Bible? And how can we not then see that there is something supremely supernatural and very different about this little baby that's being born in a manger? And because it is so undeniably supernatural, this requires a response from all of us. Here's the thing. Every single one of us in this room right now, me included, every single one of us, we are responding to the birth of Jesus already. The question is, what will your response be? How are you responding to the birth of Jesus Christ? That brings us now to our passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. And I, I want to uh, share these things with you. I want you to see here that the story of Anna teaches us three ways to respond to the birth of Jesus. So here's the first way. Number one, the birth of Jesus should lead us to worship. Should lead us to worship. Let's read this passage together. Just a few verses. Follow along with me. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. This is the word of God. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, you read through those few verses uh, there's not a lot here that we know uh, about Anna, but you read through these verses and there's definitely evidence that God has already radically changed her life. 
Notice, for example, that the Bible says here that she's a prophetess. So that means not so much that she predicts the future, but more so that God used her to speak his word to the people. The Bible also says that she was married, but she spent the better part of her life as a widow until she was 84, which in that culture would not have been an easy life. As a widow, she would have known suffering and loss on a profound level. She would have known pain and loneliness and grief. But verse 37 goes on to say that that she did not depart from the temple. The better part of her life had been wrapped up in the house of God and in the work of God. So here's what I want you to see. Here's a woman who believes that for all of the pain and the suffering and the loss that she has experienced within her life, that God has done something for her that transcends all of that. Transcends the pain and the suffering and the loss and the grief. And so now she is giving her life for the one who would soon give his life for her. Listen, friends, if you're here today and you do not know God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and what I mean by that is, is if you're here and, and you're not in a relationship with God that has totally changed your life, like your life is noticeably different now than it was before you came to know him. That's the kind of relationship that I'm talking about. If you're here today and you do not know God through personal faith in Jesus Christ, then we want you to know, we want you to understand that this story that we've been telling today of God's love and his offer of redemption, this is for you. It's for all of us. Like, like if you're here, listen, every person sitting in this room, I just want you to hear this so clearly right now for everybody here. God loves you so much. Like, that's why we celebrate Christmas. God loves you so much. And for those of you who are here right now and you don't have this personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear that this is true for you too. God loves you so much. And he knew from the very first pages of the Bible, from the very first days of creation, that every single one of us would need a savior. And we need that savior because our sin is so offensive to the holiness and the beauty of who God is that he could not just let that sin go unaddressed. Punishment had to be handed out. A price needed to be paid. And the only one who could pay that price? This little baby born in the manger. Like, just think about that. That's why he came. That's why he lived. And that is why he died to take all of our sin upon himself so that if we believe that he is who he says he is and that if we will believe that he is worthy of what he demands, then we can be made right with this holy God. See, the reality of the gospel is simply this. You can trust in Jesus and all that Jesus has done to pay for your sin or one day you can stand before God and pay for your sin yourself. And if you choose to stand before God and pay for your sin yourself by not trusting in Jesus, then the price for that will be an eternity in the presence of God's judgment. And yet, the Bible says so clearly, 1 Timothy 1, God loves you so much that Christ was sent in order to save us from our sins. God sent his only son to save you from your sin. He sent God's only son to save me from my sin. And so it begs the question of those of us here today who don't know Christ as our savior, will you trust in him? Like, will you trust in him today? 
right here, right now? Like, will you surrender the rest of your life, give the rest of your life for the one who has given his life for you? See, we need to understand that, that this is where worship begins. Anna realized that God had done something absolutely amazing for her, and so it leads her now to worship. It's interesting, that word worship in verse 37, it literally means that she laid down her life in service to God. So notice verse 37, how this happens. It happens with fasting and prayer night and day. Like it's a radical transformation. Her life has been totally changed out of love for God. In fasting, she's saying, God, I'm allowing this physical hunger that I feel to teach me about the greater spiritual hunger that my heart needs to have for you. Like like my life needs to be hungry for God. And that word prayer, that's not just any kind of prayer. The word here indicates that she spent the better part of her years in the temple urgently crying out to God, trusting in God, living her life by faith in God. And so now, at this particular point, she has seen the faithfulness of God play out right in front of her. Jesus is born. The Savior has come. God is faithful. And so so just imagine Anna in the temple All of these things are happening. All of the dots are connecting in that moment. And maybe she's sitting there and she's thinking to herself, man, the only adequate response I can think to give is that I'm going to lay down my life in service to this God who keeps all of his promises. Like her life is totally changed. And that's what the birth of Jesus demands from us. Is my life different? Is my life changed? Do I understand the purpose for which Jesus has come? Like just think about this in the context of your own life. What is my life saying about how worthy I believe Jesus is? Like ask the question of yourself. What are my priorities? What's the most important thing to me? Like if I were to ask the people who are closest to you what matters the most to you, what would they say? Like, like what would it be? And, and would Jesus even make the list? Like what about the way that that we spend the time that we've been given or the money that we've been given or the abilities that we've been given? Like think about that for a minute, right? Like those three things just by themselves, those three things say so much about where our heart is and, and they often reveal so much about the priorities that we have. But at the same time, it also reveals the space that we give to Jesus to shape the priorities of our life. What are the priorities of your life? See, this is why we say that that the birth of Jesus demands a response from us. Is my life different because of Jesus? Because Jesus came, and God is faithful, and and Jesus came, and he lived, and he died in my place, and for my sins, and he rose again. He's offered me faith. Is my life different? It should lead lead us to this kind of worship, but then notice this second. The birth of Jesus should lead us to wonder. In other words, it should lead us to amazement. Verse 38 goes on and says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. So at the very same hour that this guy named Simeon, in the few verses before this, uh, the same time that he was praising God for the coming of Jesus, Anna rises up and begins to do the same thing. So consider this for a minute. This is what our God does. He inspires the praises of his people. Like we praise him now because he's given us Jesus and and we praise him now because we see the ways that he works within our lives and yet the Bible says that there's coming another day still in the future for the people of God, for the people who know him and love him where 
God's people will gather around the throne and we will cry out the praises of Jesus at the top of our lungs and it will not matter if you can't carry a tune in a bucket because we're all going to be gathered around the throne and we're going to be singing this song and it's going to be great because we're going to be in heaven and it's going to be perfect and it's going to sound great and we're going to sing this song for all of eternity and, and we're going to be there because we understand that God has brought salvation to every tribe and tongue and people and language and we're gathered around the throne and we realize that all of that that is even possible because God gave this little baby to be born in a manger. It's the gift of salvation. So we gather right now to celebrate that truth. We gather to, to celebrate that because we want our hearts to be filled with that wonder and that amazement at that reality that Jesus has come. Like, isn't it true? We get so easily distracted by other stuff. Like, don't you find that even in your own life? I find that in my life sometimes. It's so easy to get, to get distracted. Like, we are a people that are too easily amazed by stuff that in the grand scheme of things just doesn't matter. Right? Like, it, it kind of makes me think of, of those videos uh, that go viral about kids opening their presents on Christmas, right? And, and, like, they get so excited, and it's the look on their faces, and it's their body language, and they're jumping up and down, and they're clapping, and they're crying, and, and like, some kids are just about to lose it because they are so excited at the gifts that they've been given. And nothing wrong with that at all, but it kind of begs the question, doesn't it? Like, what are we really amazed by? What are you amazed by? Like when was the last time that, that our hearts were so overflowing with excitement and gratitude at the gift that God has given to us in Jesus? And, and listen, friends, that's, that's not really something that you can build up on your own. It's not something you can manufacture in your own life. And, and you know how you grow a heart of wonder? It's by growing a heart of worship. It's by spending time with Jesus, marveling at everything that he has done for us. And what better time for that to happen than at Christmas? See, the birth of Jesus should lead us to worship, it should lead us to wonder, and then finally this, it should lead us to witness. It should lead us to witness. The end of verse 38 says that Anna began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Notice here, notice the clarity of purpose. So Anna is fulfilling her God-given purpose. Remember back in verse 36, she's a prophetess. She speaks the word of God to the people. And, and the clarity here is so striking to me. Like, just notice the pattern of what happens here. Closeness to God in worship and fasting and prayer. And that closeness then leads to a wonder in thankfulness for all that God has done, which leads then to witness to all those who will hear. Like our hearts are just filled with wonder, filled with worship to the point where we're overflowing. We can't contain it any longer and we have to tell other people about what God has done for us in Jesus. And notice here that the clarity is the same for all of God's people. We have been given this very same message and the message is very clear. It is very simple and yet it is absolutely profound. The Savior has come. He is here. God is faithful and Jesus has come to save sinners. That, friends, that is the good news of Christmas. That is the greatest gift of all that God could give to us. Here's the thing. I realize that for some, perhaps even some who are sitting here in this room right now, Christmas can be a difficult time. It can be a time of loneliness and grief. 
disappointment. There could be any number of different emotions that, that you're dealing with right now, and, and that's very real, and, and I get that. And yet at the same time, part of what the Bible is teaching us is that Christmas is a time for us to proclaim the faithfulness of God. That, that even though you may be going through what feel like a swirl of emotions right now that, that you can't control and, and you're not sure what to do with, that even at that moment, in the midst of all of that, that Christmas is a time for us to proclaim the faithfulness of God. That even though I feel like that, God is still faithful. God has still made his promises. God is still close to me. God is still walking with me through everything that I go through. For others, Christmas is a time of celebration. It's a time of joy. It's a time of togetherness. It's a time of hope. And yet the same remains true. That this is a time to proclaim the faithfulness of God. That for everything that has happened in the year gone by, God still walks with me, and in giving me Jesus, he has made it possible for me to walk with him. Just one more time. Put yourself back into the story. Put yourself back in the Christmas story as it's told in the Gospel of Luke. Imagine that you're one of those people all those years ago waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And there finally comes a point where, where you realize now that you don't need to look to a king or a queen any longer to be your savior. That you don't need to look to a judge or a priest or a prophet any longer to be your savior. And, and now just fast forward all these years to sitting here in this room this afternoon and, and you realize now with so much clarity that, that you don't need to look to the things of the world any longer to save you. Why? Because God himself has come. And because God himself has come, we don't need to look to those things any longer because God himself is the one who is able to satisfy the deepest hunger of our souls if you will simply trust in him. Because God himself has come, this demands a response from us. I pray that we will respond in worship and wonder and witness. Let's pray.